Thank you for having me. And you mentioned how difficult it is to stay uh, persistent in, in the face of long-term prayer for something that the answer is delayed. That's really what I want to talk about. And I want to do that by uh, going to a familiar verse in James chapter 5, James 5, 16. The last phrase in that verse is a familiar promise. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, that's the King James Version. And that's how I memorize that verse. So I normally, that's how I say it when I'm quoting it from memory. The ESV says it like this, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, which to me sounds a little bland because it doesn't have the idea of fervency that you have in the King James. And in fact, that two-word expression in the King James, effectual fervent, that translates a single word in the Greek original. It's the word energeo, which is an adjective, and it's used of something that, that puts forth power. You recognize the root of the word from our words, energy, energetic, energize, and it means powerful, but it also conveys the idea of activity and productivity and passion. Um, effectual fervent, that's a good translation. It's actually better than merely saying effective. And although this verse speaks of an individual, a righteous man, it's also an appropriate text for a group devoted to united prayer. So let's look at it. James 5. And I want to focus on two and a half verses, starting with that last phrase in verse 16. <clears throat> and I'll read it from the English Standard Version. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, the point there is simple. When a righteous person prays earnestly and fervently, it avails much. It's effectual, which is, this is an encouragement to us to be faithful and fervent in our praying, and it's a promise that we are not wasting our time when we pray. And the person James goes on to hold up as a flesh and blood example for us is Elijah. Something you'll notice if you do a in-depth study of Elijah's life is that he prayed at every crisis point in his ministry, and God always answered his prayers. In fact, in the immediate context here, um, James holds James is, uh, he says, you can expect the same thing in your own experience. If your praying is fervent and faithful, if you persist in prayer, and if you pray according to the will of God, rather than asking for things out of selfish motives, those are all things James says there in, in the context of his epistle. Uh, and then after all that, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's saying, Elijah wasn't supernatural. He did lots of miracles, but he was not supernatural. He was a spiritual hero, but he wasn't any kind of superhero. He was a fallen human being, just like you and me, subject to the same passions and fears and fits of depression. And scripture records his failures as well as his triumphs. But James says he was a righteous man, uh, despite his sin, because he was justified by faith. He trusted God, and therefore, perfect righteousness was imputed to him. And that's what James means when he speaks of a righteous person in verse 16. 
he's talking about all believers, those who are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And now look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. And it's interesting to me that there is no record of that prayer in the Old Testament where he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. Elijah first appears on the scene in 1 Kings 17. In verse 1, he simply wanders into the uh, courtroom of King Ahab and announces that there will not be dew nor rain until he gives the word. Uh, but James, who is writing, obviously, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, informs us that this drought was a response to Elijah's prayer. He prayed fervently, James says, that it wouldn't rain, and for three years and six months, it didn't rain. And think about that. Three, three years and six months, three and a half years of drought, that brought that whole nation to its knees, and Elijah became known as the troubler of Israel. He wasn't a hero. He was considered the villain by most people. And finally then, when it was time to end the drought, James 5.18 says he prayed again and heaven gave rain. Now, I hope you know this story. It's a fascinating, there's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a amazing, one of my favorite Old Testament narratives, Elijah and the drought and the end of the drought and the contest with the prophets of Baal, the priests of Baal, there on Mount Car Carmel. And in that story, you see a dramatic contrast between how Elijah calls down fire from heaven and how he calls down the rain. He calls down the fire in the most public possible way with a simple petition to the Lord in front of all the people. And the prayer for fire consists of just two verses in our Bibles. It's, if, you want to, if you have a Bible and you want to look at it, it's 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. This is his entire prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. So there's no dramatic pleading. And, and in fact, notice he doesn't even mention fire. The heart of his prayer is actually a prayer for the repentance of Israel. He's praying for revival, just like we are. And the simplicity and the calm quietness of this public prayer makes a stark contrast to all the screaming and writhing and bloody flesh cutting that the priests of Baal had exhibited when they were trying in vain to get their God to answer. And God answers Elijah's prayer for fire instantly, without delay, in the most dramatic fashion, uh, sending a fire so hot that it evaporated several barrels of water that Elijah had drenched his offering with. Uh, and all of this was a spectacular demonstration of God's power in response to the earnest prayer of a righteous man. Now, you'd think that Elijah would call down rain in the same fashion, but that isn't what happened. In the scene that follows, there's a slaughter of the prophets, and Elijah then goes up on the top of the mountain privately with just one of his servants, and he pleads again with God, this time for rain. And this time the answer doesn't come immediately or dramatically. And in fact, when the answer did come, it appeared in the most insignificant way with the advent of a tiny cloud that was so far away on the horizon that its appearance probably would have been enough to discourage most of us. But Elijah had a promise from God that it would rain. 
In fact, first, first Kings 18 starts with that promise. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So God had promised this. And, you know, some people might think that a promise like that from God would mean Elijah doesn't need to pray. Because after all, he has this ironclad promise from God. Why should he have to pray for what the Lord already promised? But Elijah didn't think that way, and neither should we. It's it's true that God is faithful to his promises, but along with the promises, he commands us to pray without ceasing. He gives the promises to stir our hearts to prayer, not to keep us from having to pray. And, and in fact, God's promises are what teach us what we are supposed to pray for. In the words of F.B. Meyer, he says, the promises of God are the mold into which we may pour our fervid spirits without fear. They are the signed check made payable to order, which we must endorse and present for payment. And Arthur Pink com- commented on that same principle. Pink points out that in Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 36, you find a whole string of promises from God. And yet in immediate connection with those promises, Pink says, we read where God says, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. So God wants us to pray that his promises will be fulfilled. And Elijah had this promise of rain that didn't stop him from praying fervently and repeatedly for the fulfillment of the promise. In fact, with his heart emboldened by the promise, he begins to beseech the Lord to send rain. And when the answer doesn't come immediately, he simply keeps praying from the top of Mount Carmel, where he where he had a good view of all sides. He went down on his knees, knees and scripture says he placed his head between his knees and earnestly prayed for rain. And I can't explain, I don't think anybody can explain why the answer wasn't as immediate as the answer to his prayer for fire. All we can do is take note that God sometimes answers us quickly, and sometimes he makes us wait. And even a prophet like Elijah was not always answered instantly, immediately. So who are we to think that God should answer our prayers without delay? But here's what we do know. God's delays always have good reasons. We may never know what those reasons are, but we know that God is good. We know his character, and he is merciful, and his ways are right, and his time is the best time. That's actually the title of one of my of my very favorite Bach cantata. God's time is the best time. And often when the Lord waits, it's so that he can pour out the answer to our prayers in a kind of superabundant way. Elijah prayed for rain, and when the answer didn't come immediately, he persisted. When he ultimately received an answer to his prayer, it was a torrential downpour. It was exceedingly abundantly above what he could ask or think. Elijah had this servant, a young boy, and as Elijah prayed for rain, he sent the servant to a place high on the summit of the mountain where he had a view of the Mediterranean Ocean, and he would tell the servant, go up now and look towards the sea. They did this seven times, and on the seventh time, the servant returned and said, behold, there's a little cloud like a man's hand. Now, I gather he meant it was shaped like a man's hand, although this might have been a reference to the small size of the 
of the cloud. And in fact, the servant seems to have been a, a little bit discouraged at that point. After seven trips to discover, you can understand why. Uh, and so this may have been his way of conveying his discouragement to Elijah. Yeah, there's a cloud, but it's about the size of your fist. So, but he spots this thing on the horizon. It's small, in a, infinitesimally small for a cloud, and didn't seem like any reason to rejoice. But Elijah was a man of faith, and he knew that this was the beginning of the answer to his prayer. And it was. First Kings 18.45 says, And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And he, he made that trip in a rainstorm. So the heavens were literally black with roiling clouds, and those clouds unleashed this torrent of rain and wind like Israel had not seen in three and a half years. Now listen to James 5.16 again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's an argument for persistent prayer, that we shouldn't grow weary in praying just because our prayer from time to time uh, is delayed, that God seems like he's delaying his answer. And often an answer to prayer that follows one of God's delays is a more abundant answer than those answers that come quickly. That was the case here. The heavens unleashed this flood. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Here's what James is saying. Your prayer life ought to be the most exciting and exhilarating aspect of your spiritual life. And if you're not seeing answers to your prayers, it's not because there's something wrong with God. The problem may be your own prayer life. James says you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So we need to pray persistently and according to the will of God. And the word of God guarantees that if we continue to pray, if we persevere, our prayers will avail much. That's the promise of this text. And I hope it's an encouragement to you.